Man, our prayer meetings on Tuesday and Thursday are powerful, 10 a.m. You're all invited. I'm believing for 100 plus people to start coming to our prayer time. And if you're able to, and uh, I promise you we have live worship and we really go after God. It is an exciting time and an important time. And what a way uh, to unleash heaven into your world. I'm continuing a series on the book of Romans, part two today. Subtitled, The Goodness of God Leads to Repentance. The goodness of God. Before I open the word, let me share something humorous. A woman who is three months pregnant fell into a deep coma. Six months later, she awakes and immediately asks the, daughter, the doctor about her baby. The doctor said, congratulations, you had twins, a boy and a girl. They're both healthy and fine. Luckily, your brother named them for you. Woman, oh no, not my brother. He's an idiot. What did he name the girl? Doctor, Denise. Well, that's not so bad. What did he call the boy? The nephew. That's all I got. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man. Whoever you are who judge, for whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Now Paul, in chapter 1, he addresses the sinful nature. He addresses the godless person, the religious-less person. People that have idolatry, that don't believe in God at all, or are idolaters, etc. In chapter 2, he's going after religious folks. And here's Paul's, in Paul's mind, through the Holy Spirit, religious people are harder to reach than sinners. Everyone's a sinner. Religious people don't believe they are. And so he, he, he's going hard after this because he knew what it was like to be filled with religious arrogancy, hubris, and pride. He had so much pride, he was persecuting the church way they're early Christians thinking it was right hate and venom pouring out of him he justified it by his own moral calculus as being a righteous action and he was very very wrong of course so he's hitting it hard verse 2 but when we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth against those who practice such things so God is righteous God is holy and sin is the offense to God and everyone is a sinner except not everyone acknowledges it. The problem with people that don't believe they're sinners, they don't think they need grace or salvation. And do you think this old man, this would be the religious Jews at his time, we would translate that into people that are religious today, either by uh, the, the, the normal forms of religion or by philosophical religions or new kinds of moralistic thinking, internal moralistic structures, do you think this old man, old woman, you who judge those who practice, those practicing such things, but you're doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? So it's, Jesus said in, in Matthew 7, judge not lest you be judged. The same judgment you give, it shall be given back to you. And he said, why do you behold the speck in your neighbor's eye when you have a plank in your own eye? It is a part of just human nature that we're able to create a camouflage of internal deceptive inaccountability. And, and we actually can become angry at someone else's behavior 
not even realizing that it's in us. The same thoughts or same kind of lifestyle. So we often hate in others what we hide in us. And so he's, he's addressing the Jews because the Jews at Rome, so back in this time in history, most of the church were Messianic Jews, were people that had come uh, to the, the saving grace of knowing Christ as the Messiah of Israel. But so he's addressing the religious background of people that had this intensity and those that were resistant to Christianity because they don't think they needed it. They don't think they needed a Savior. Verse 4, or do you... Do, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that it is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? So my first point is this. All that have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Chapter Later on in this chapter, it says, there's none righteous, no one at one. He quotes from the Old Testament twice. So Paul's building a powerful framework so no one escapes. The sinner knows. He talked about the obvious sins in, in chapter 1. The sins of the flesh. The sins of carnality. The sins of immorality. The sins of idolatry. The sins of anger and temperament and violence. He talks about everything. These are, and, 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 and people say, yeah, those are sinners. But then he's now talking about the religious group that has, that has impure hearts and unhealthy minds, but they judge everyone else. They act superior, but they don't live superior. Why? Because the law couldn't get them there. The law shows us the perfect, the perfect moral uh, guidance and, and law of God. It's perf the law is perfect, except no one can keep it. It wasn't made to give us a pathway to heaven. It was made to convict us of the need for grace. The law convicts everyone, so grace can come to everyone. And so that's what he's doing. He's hitting it hard. And sometimes the hardest folks to... And I was witnessing to a guy who was like stone drunk. But I'm witnessing to him anyways. And, and it, so here's this person drunk in an airplane. And I'm, and I'm trying to, and they brought up their religion. And I'm like, OMG, dude, that thing's not working for you. You're drunk about to be kicked off this airplane. And, you're, and you don't have peace. You don't have rest. I wasn't criticizing his drinking. But just that right away, he rose up and resisted. Well, I was raised this way. Well, well, you know what? So what? So what? Is it working for you? And people that are religion, it's, it's, it's amazing. On, for example, my social media, I have dialogues with atheists, with agnostics. I actually like to engage them a little bit. The people that are the most hateful are religious people. Uh, you're, 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 you know, all you charismatics are heretics. Just, just, you know, just some of the worst stuff. Just pure hate disguised as righteousness. And, and so we never want to, see right now in the culture, the culture, the culture is giving us the opportunity to say things about it. They're so glaring. We should discern and judge sin we should never shame and condemn sinners yeah thank you 10% of the church I'm going to win them over Jesus name so that's the first point and then, then he jumps in verse 4 he said don't you know 
don't you know? It's the goodness. In the Greek, it's the word for goodness slash kindness. It's the kindness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads, that gives you the chance to repent. That invites you, that engages you, that entices you, that draws you. The prophet says, with loving kindness, I have drawn you to me. I've loved you with an everlasting love. With loving kindness, I have drawn you to me. And so let me just talk about the goodness of God for a minute. The Bible calls what Christ has done for us the gospel. And it's the Greek word for good news. Everything about Jesus is good news. The good news is we were sinners, yes, whether we were religious or just pagans. We're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. But the good news is he died for all of us. He died for the most religious. He died for the most sinner, the most immoral. The good news is that he forgave my sins. The good news is that he gives me complete freedom from shame and condemnation. The gospel is the good news of heaven. And God who is instinctively, internally, in every aspect of his being good. James 1 says this, be not deceived, brethren. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's not even a shadow of variation. If it's good, it's God. His hands are on it. He's, his fingerprints are in it. We know all things work together for the good of them that love God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. No good thing will he withhold from those that walk uprightly. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. <clears throat> when I'm in need of repentance, it's goodness that draws me back. Christ gave the parable of the prodigal son. In the parable, you know, the young son takes his inheritance, wastes it all on sinful living. And when he ran out of money, he ran out of friends. In a foreign land, he began to be hungry. And so he joined himself to a pig farm and started feeding pigs. Of course, in Jewish culture, that would be doing something horrific. So there's always... Pleasure in sin for a season. But then you feed the pigs. Then it makes you do what you hate. Then it enslaves you. And in the slavery of his own sin, the Bible says when he came to himself, he said, even my dad's servants live better than this. My dad's so good that even the people that work for him are blessed. I'm going to go home because I'd rather be a servant in daddy's house than a slave of the pig farm. And he goes home and it was the goodness of his father that like a magnet drew him home. And when he was a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion on him and ran down to kiss him and kissed him on the cheeks. Love, acceptance and forgiveness and said, welcome home. No shame. He'd wasted his inheritance. He'd wasted his gift. He'd wasted years. No condemnation. Only love. That's the goodness of God. 
that he could judge us but doesn't because he took his wrath against sin and pointed it toward his son on the cross and the punishment that should have been mine was given to Jesus. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for me that I might become the righteousness of Christ of God in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus took my place. Jesus took my sin. The goodness of God is seen in the person of Jesus. The grace of God is the proof of the goodness of God. God loves you. God's for you. God sent his son to redeem you. And God is always thinking good thoughts about you. Every day. He's good. He's good. Uh, whew. All the time, he is good. The third thing I'm going to talk about is in this chapter, chapter 1. And he says some interesting things that are powerful. Verse 14, for when Gentiles, people that are non-religious, who do not have the law of Moses, do not have the statutes, ordinance, the covenants of God, by nature do the things that are in the law, these, although they have not the law, are a law to themselves. Who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing their witness. And between them and their accusing or else excusing them. Between themselves, their thoughts accusing or excusing them. So he talks about the human conscience and the work of God in it. Now, it's really important because he said this. Have you noticed, he said, that even in the Roman civilization, they don't honor God, but they've said it's, it's illegal to kill someone, to rob, to lie. That the basics, the law of God, are written in people. So anywhere you go in the world, Hindu, Muslim, atheistic, secular, anywhere you go in the world, people have the outlines of the law because God wrote it in our hearts. The echo chamber of heaven is still in the human spirit, in the human conscience. So God gave us a conscience to know right and wrong. Okay? Paul said it's not just religious people that know that. So you meet and when you witness and talk to and get to know people that aren't religious, many of them are very moral because they have a conscience. They have this inner guiding system that every person has. And Paul said, so what are the evidences of God? See, see the evidence of God, chapter 1, creation. So I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Why? It's, I, I can't believe that something came from nothing. I can't believe that life came from non-life. I can't believe that great design and order came from confusion, chaos. I can't believe that reason came from unreason, that logic came from unlogic. I, I can't believe that, that they didn't just appear. So, so he uses the argument of creation in chapter 2. It's the argument of the human conscience. A person, how, do, how does the atheist, how does the evolutionist explain having a conscience? <laughs> it's, the, it's the presence of God. I'm made in his image. So people know intuitively, instinctively. Hebrews chapter 10 says this about this, our conscience. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having your heart sprinkled from an evil conscience 
Our bodies are washed with pure water. Chapter 9, verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the internal spirit offered himself without spot to God, sinless to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So everyone has a conscience. The problem is sin corrupts the conscience. Every person is born with a God-given gift of a conscience, a moral understanding and connection of what is right and wrong, good and evil. But sin dulls, eludes, and decreases the influence of the conscience of man. Salvation, the word of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit repairs, restores, and renews our conscience to be in alignment with God's will. So when I start walking with God, I start being convicted about sins that didn't used to bother me. Just me? I'm on a short leash with God. You know what I mean? I, can, I get convicted even before I do it. I just think it. I didn't even do it, Lord. I know, but you were thinking it. Right and wrong, right and wrong. Moral guidance. So, so people say, well, Pastor, we, we, we need to help sinners. get. We need to preach against sin. I, I agree. We need to introduce people to Jesus. And what happens after they receive him as Savior and Lord, he starts awakening their conscience. And so instead of you telling them how to fix their life, the Holy Ghost will. <laughs> Come on, we, we, we grew up in Pentecost. In Pentecost, you were holy as a woman if your dress was four inches below the knee. If it was three inches, you were a harlot. If it was two inches, you were a prostitute. So there was harsh, so we tried to regulate holiness by the standards of man instead of the work of God in the heart. And any time you demand people change their behavior before God's changed their heart, you burden them with law they can't keep. So God's a heart God. He changes my heart. So I remember this story, I tell it too, too much, but when I... Uh, in 1990, I was driving home from church, and our church was starting to grow in Scottsdale, and I was praying. I was complaining about the worship leader. Of course, the joke was I was still the worship leader. And I drove past the bar, the dirty drummer, and I said, God, there are better musicians in that bar playing for 10 drunks than I have for 1,500 people. Amen. And so I got home. The Lord said, why don't you do something about it? So... He said something that changed my life. Command musicians to come out of darkness into my kingdom. Kaboom. And I prayed, and then, you know, God, Israel Houghton, and everything happened. But the first thing that happened was a couple named Jim and Nancy Simmons got saved. I mean, radically tongue-talking, devil-stomping, jumping up and down, crying their eyes out, saved. And they brought, they owned the largest jazz nightclub called Chewy's in Arizona. And so they brought the best guitar player, the best trumpet player, saxophone player, bass player. Jim was the best player. So the whole second row was all these great musicians. Now, I'm not Einstein. But I looked at these musicians, and I looked at me, and so I brought him on stage. And so I started getting little nasty notes. Pastor, I don't know if you know, that couple owns a nightclub. And they serve alcohol, and they shake their booties. And should they be on the stage? And, and I'm like, why don't we give Jesus the chance to change people? 
so I never condemned Jim and Nancy for owning a nightclub. About six months after they had joined our church, we were part of the worship team, they called for an emergency meeting, and I thought something had happened. And they're, I, I'm meeting with them in the office, and they can't stop crying. I said, what's wrong? Is everything okay? Yes, yes, everything's okay. What's going to go on? The Lord told us to close our business down. I said, wow. And they said, we were offered $6 million to sell it. And I thought, what's the tithe on $6 million? I backslid for about 30 seconds. And they said, we're just going to shut it down. And then I thought, I wonder how many of their critics would have walked away from $6 million because it was the right thing to do. If you give God the chance, he'll rebuild people's conscience and they'll, they'll learn to do the right thing. Now when people, see the problem is when the culture says, we have to, you have to accept these people. You have to embrace their lifestyle because, because they're high in suicide or they're always depressed. And, and I'm like, I, I, I don't want anyone to be depressed or have be suicidal, but they're not suicidal because of the church. They're suicidal because of their conscience. And they're at war with God in their conscience. And they're doing things that are, that, they're, that, are un, that are opposed to the moral law of God in their heart. That's the truth. And where we love them, we embrace them, we invite them, we heal them, but, but we have to tell them, God's going to heal this. And when God heals this, you're going to stop doing that. It's the way it is. Okay, last point. You still with me today? There is redemption for all mankind through the grace of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in chapter 3, it closes with a crescendo, the beautiful triumphant revelation talking about what is ours in Christ. So let me read it with you beginning verse 20. Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in God's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So, so no one gets to heaven through the law. Now, the law is not sinful. The law is perfect. But the law's perfect purpose was to introduce us to grace. Okay, next verse. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and prophets. So righteousness is right standing. So righteousness in the Bible means I'm completely right with God. So Christ is righteous, sinless, perfect, innocent. He is holy, just in all of his way. And so God gave me that gift. So I have righteousness not because of my behavior, not because I've won stars. Don't you, see, if we're in the star business, some of you would get a gold star today, some of you wouldn't. I'm sorry, no star for you today. We... The Lord saw you what you did. Remember Tuesday? Tuesday. Yeah, no star for you. The righteousness of God comes apart from the law as a gift. God gives perfect righteousness to imperfect people who suddenly have the power then to exhibit and demonstrate a transformed life. 
God doesn't say change and I'll make you righteous. God says receive my righteousness and it will change you. It'll make you holy and godly. It'll make the angry man loving. It'll make the immoral person holy. It'll make the sinful person. Righteousness has that power. Apart from the law, by faith in Christ. Next verse. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. One standard. I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. One standard. Grace is Jesus plus nada. Nothing. So the righteousness of God is a gift. It's a gift. So verse 23. For all have sinned, famous verse, and fallen short of the glory of God. So, the importance of that is this. People that don't think they need a Savior never receive salvation. And the Holy Spirit, through the conscience and through the work of the preaching of the gospel, the Holy Spirit convicts us that we're sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's mankind. Every person that's ever lived, Mary, beautiful Mary, gave birth to four gorgeous children. Two of them are here today. When our children were born, they were like cherubs. They were like little angels. Their faces were glowing. They just couldn't do any wrong. And then they turned two. And when they turned true, I remember the first day that my oldest daughter, Melody Joy, put her hand at two-year-old on her little hip, hip and looked at me and said, no. Where'd that come from? Not my side of the family. It must be her side of the family. And the sinful nature was sleeping. And then it woke. We were all born in sin. We all need a Savior. Those little chairs we just prayed for. Oh, a little boy making faces. Just so cute. But they're not going to be cute forever. <laughs> they're going to go through temporary insanity called teenage years. They're going to do that. And each one of them has to come to the place where they personally receive Christ as their Savior. Amen. I was a wretched, filthy sinner in first grade. <laughs> True story. When I heard about the love of Jesus, I got to work for years on the board of Jewish Voice with the woman who led me to Christ in a, Jew, in a Lutheran church. It's unbelievable. Very touching. Okay. So, so God's redemptive work is ours. Next verse. Whom God, Jesus now, verse 25, set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of the forbearance of God had passed over sins that were previously committed. So here, so here it is. In the Old Testament, God covered sins but didn't forgive them. God postponed judgment until Calvary. 
Because the blood of lambs and goats and ox and doves could not forgive the sins of man. But God gave a type of Christ, the Lamb of God. And they would yearly offer sacrifice and there would be a covering. A temporary covering until the Lamb came. And then when the Lamb came, he gathered past sins, he gathered present sins and future sins. And he covered it all. And everyone that receives him receives the covering of their sins, the removal of sins, the propitiation, the covering of the blood of Christ over the sin of my soul. Uh, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven by the blood of Christ. Next verse, to demonstrate, verse 26, at the present time, his righteousness, there it is, the right standing with God, the perfect right standing with God, that he might be just, Christ the sinless man is just, just by his earthly overcoming behavior, just by his permanent nature, a just God, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Oh, that man is so much. He's just. And he chose to justify. He, see, it took someone just to justify me. Justify, a good, a good little explanation of justification means just as if I never sinned. So Paul, who wrote this, in his own autobiographical style, says, I've defrauded no one, I've hurt no one. I've dishonored no one. And it doesn't take... A genius to look back at his history. He murdered people. He was at the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr. Collecting their robes. Another initiating it. He didn't get his hands dirty. He just made it happen. He imprisoned people. We think tortured them and killed them. Because they were Christians. They were in the way of what they called the church. And Paul said, when I came to Christ, he took it all away. He justified me. And now Paul said, I'm as innocent as a newborn child. My soul is cl clean. My mind is free. I'm not covered in shame. If the devil, I don't care if you had an abortion 20 years ago. I'm sorry you did that. We are pro-life. I'm pro-life. But the God that loves you will forgive you. And you don't have to be shame-ridden your whole life because that happened to you. I don't care if you had an affair and you cheated on your spouse or if you've been addicted to pornography or if you've been a, a lifelong player or womanizer or manonizer. Well, I, I, I doesn't, man, when you come to Jesus, he takes it away. He takes it away. He takes it away. He's the justifier. And now when I stand, the Bible says, talking about this amazing Scenario, the prophet in the Old Testament said, the, the, the high priest Joshua stood before God and Satan rose up to accuse him. And the Lord said, the Lord rebuke you. I've made him righteous. When the devil tries to condemn you, the Lord rebukes him. Next time shame comes, hit it in the head. What, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Chapter 8, we're getting there eventually. There's no shame to the person who's forgiven. 
Come on. And so he introduces to righteousness, justification, and redemption. So let me close about redemption. Redemption means, just like what, what it means in our language, to buy something back. To restore something that's been torn down, that's been taken away. So I was in the prison of sin, and I was bound there for all eternity, bound by my earthly existence, and then for an eternity separated from God. I could not pay my debt. I had no solution. And then a justifier came. And he said, I'm here to justify Michael Maiden. And he opened the prison door. And he gave me the gift of his righteousness. And then he made me his son, his child. And then he rebuked the devil and said, you can't have him no more. He's mine. If any man is in Christ Jesus, they're a new creation. Old things passed away. Old things made new. All things from God. And so he redeemed me from sin, redeemed me from the grip of Satan. You used to be under the government of Satan's influence, but when you became a child of God, you got redeemed out of the grip of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of light. You've been redeemed from the curse of the law, depression and sickness and poverty and, and shame and pain and mental infirmities and physical diseases and financial calamities and family disturbance. You've been redeemed from that garbage. By the blood of Jesus Christ, you've been redeemed from generational curses that are in your family. You're the curse breaker. You're the way maker. You're the difference maker. You've been redeemed by love divine. You've been redeemed into heaven, into the kingdom of heaven, into the family of God, into the heart of God, into the purpose of God. I once had no purpose, but I've been redeemed into destiny. I once had no meaning, but I've been redeemed into meaning and significance and value. Everything that I lost in Adam, I've gotten back in Christ. I'm redeemed. Oh, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom the Lord has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. My sins forgiven. My mind delivered. My spirit filled. My soul healed. My family blessed. I want you to take that tattoo that says born to lose and cross out that and put born to win. Come on, stand to your feet and give God a praise this morning. Someone shout, I redeemed. And Paul said, it doesn't matter if you were the most pious. Remember the parable? Jesus said there was two men. One a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The lowest occupation you could have. And the Pharisee looked up to God and said, I'm thank you, I'm not like him. Have you noticed you can always find someone living worse than you to feel better about you? Well, I'm not, I'm not too bad. Look at them. Jeez. Just turn on TV. Two seconds. And... Jesus said the public, the tax collector, would not look up beating his chest. Be merciful to me, God, a sinner. And Jesus said, which one went home justified? The one who knew he needed grace. The most famous song in Christendom is Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace was written by a slave trader who was so radically born again 
he sold, he trafficked people. What a horrific, worst sinner ever. When he came to Christ, he said, oh, amazing grace. And spent the rest of his life trying to undo the first part of his life. Was a difference maker in overcoming slavery and influenced the church that we should never give up on anybody. No matter how bound and lost they are, amazing grace can find them. Amazing grace can save them. Lord, we thank you. Prayer team, join me down front. Come on, would you mind lifting your hands? We celebrate our redemption. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for forgiving our sins. Thank you for the gift of righteousness. Thank you for abundance of grace. Thank you for your kingdom, your spirit, your church, your word. Thank you for destiny and meaning. Oh, Jesus. Let me just have fun for a minute. Thank you, God. We have abundant life in Christ Jesus. That we're anointed by the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Thank you, God. We're called and chosen. We're comforted. We're conquerors. Thank you, God. We're delivered. And daily you load us with blessing. Thank you, God. We have everlasting life, life that never ends. Thank you, God. Our sins are forgiven and we're your friends. Thank you. We walk in divine favor. Thank you, God. Your goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our life. No good thing will you withhold from us. Your glory is in us and for us. Thank you, God. You've healed us and you've given us hope. And you're always our helper. Thank you, God, that I'm in you. In you I live and move and have my being. Thank you, God, I'm justified just as if I never sinned. That I have joy unspeakable and full of glory. That Jesus is my Savior. Thank you, God, for the knowledge of Christ and the kindness of your spirit. Thank you, God, for your loving kindness that is better than life. Thank you, God, for your mercy that follows me, changes me. Thank you, God, no weapon formed against me will prosper. Thank you, God, for your peace. Thank you, God, I'm more than a conqueror. Thank you, God, for salvation and truth. Thank you, God, for a spirit of understanding that I'm in victory. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, for the spirit of excellence. Thank you, God, that yesterday, today, and forever you're the same. Thank you, God, that your zeal consumes me. God, I have endless things to thank you for. I just went through the alphabet, 24 things. I'm here to tell you, your spirit should never stop praising your God about your redemption. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Come on. Come on, I'm losing my voice. Raise your voice. Someone shout, I'm redeemed. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up. Coming after me. Thank you, God. Come on, sing it. There's no wall you won't kick down. Lie you won't tear down. Coming after me. There's no shadow. Come on, sing it. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness, your goodness. As we close today's service, the most important thing in life, we talked about it all morning is receiving salvation through Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
this same book in the next chapter says this the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life to Jesus Christ chapter 10 says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved if you've never received the gift of life the gift of forgiveness you can't earn it it can't be achieved it can only be received we'd be so honored to pray for you today to receive Christ if you've never received him if you've been away from Jesus Christ make this your homecoming Sunday and turn your heart back to him if you're going through a battle if you need a physical healing emotional mental healing we'd be happy to pray for you if you're going through a storm your family your life let someone prophesy and pray over you today anyone needing prayer come forward just for 60 seconds long in church worship God with me while those seeking prayer come forward Have a wonderful week. If you think about, don't forget prayer meeting Tuesday and Thursday. If you're able to come, if you think about it, pray for me. I'm in conferences in Las Vegas, in Charleston this week, and they're back for next Sunday. A little bit of a marathon this month, but it's all good. Tell someone around you, Jesus loves you like crazy. Have a wonderful week. God bless you. Don't forget tonight, prophetic service with Cindy Jacobs.